for doing that. Romans 13. We're moving onward as we take a book at a time. We go through it a verse at a time. And it gets practical. I, uh, there's something about preaching God's word in order. One, it takes the onus off me. I appreciate that. Uh, two, you get it in context. Um, I understand it way better than just a cursory reading of it. You know, by taking time and we go down deep and stay down long as we go through the verses and we try to find a way to apply them to our life and live it out loud correctly. Romans 12, especially last week, seems like it hit a nerve. I got texts from numbers of you like, how am I supposed to do this? And I appreciate you fighting the fight. I mean, there's more than one of you. Like, the timing of this right here, right now, that's God's timing. That's, that's God working and moving in our midst, you know, that ha he would have that text for that time to prepare you for this week and the events and things that came up in a, a lot of your lives. And so I hope you see the practicality of God's word. I hope you see the relevance of, of consistently being here and, and hearing it and that, that God has it for you as it comes up. Because I can't orchestrate and pull all this together and have it be when it's going to be. <laughs> but God can. And it continues from where we were last week in chapter 12 and, and Romans 13. It's a big subject this week. Let's read verses 1 through 7. We'll try to cover that this morning. So Romans 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers. For there is no power but God, uh, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he that is minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pray ye tribute also for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear unto whom fear, honor to whom honor. And I'm going to stop there this morning. It's a big subject. Paul uses um, these words to describe the subject this morning. He uses the word higher powers. He uses the word rulers. He calls it the ministers of God twice. He says that they are sword bearers. And he says that they are revengers. You and I would call it government. That's what he's talking about. It's kind of the, the context of this passage, especially here this morning. If we remember the context of chapter 12 and chapter 13, these are, you know, remember the chapter division is given by man to help us find it, um, but this is all the same subject. This is our reasonable service to God is how chapter 12 verse 1 starts out. He gives us the gifts of the church. He goes, I've not left you alone. I've given you the church and we gather together to use our gifts one towards another. We're to love one another. We're to use our gifts towards each other first and then as an outpouring of him to our community, to the, to the rest of the world. Uh, he tells us then how we're expected to behave one towards each other, 
how I expect you to behave as a church and a church family. Elaine and I had rules for the kids. You're going to be brothers and sisters forever. <laughs> you have to get along. You know, we're going to do this. We, we had rules for, for how they were to behave and how they were to act. And then you had rules of engagement that we have towards enemies. Uh, and again, if I, I, I could summarize all that as Christianity is not for wimps, right? It is not easy to be a Christian, you know, and, and to have these rules that constrain you and confine you from what we would really like to have within our flesh, right? <laughs> I want vengeance. Uh, I want to get a little get back through all this. And he's like, you pray for those who persecute you. You do good to them. If you're going to do anything, make sure you do something that's honorable, that's praiseworthy, that's, that's right. Bless those that curse you. He, he makes it hard, right? You know, if your enemy's hungry, feed them. Be kind to them. Heap coals of fire upon their head. And chapter 13 shifts a little bit. It's not just the church and how we deal with our enemies, but how do we live under our government? How do we live under government rule? Before we get into this, I'll have to lay a foundation. Because this foundation is what I have to do. When I come to this text, you know, what do I bring with it? Do you just read it? No, we have to remember how the Bible is laid out. We're told it's line upon line, precept upon precept. Here, little, there, little. So, so we have all these things that we have to mesh together. So we just don't have a, ah, oh, there it is, the gotcha verse. We bring everything with it. We bring everything with it. Now, how do I apply all this to what's going on? How do I apply everything I know as a Christian to living as a Christian underneath a government? So I need to bring this along with me when I put myself under the government. So let's go all the way back to Genesis, the origin of things. Genesis chapter 9. So that I have a right attitude as I go forward. Because my mind tends to run a little bit different. And so I have to keep my... I have to renew my mind, right? I have to keep it in check. So I do that with Genesis chapter 9. So where are we in Genesis chapter 9? Noah and the ark has landed. They've been floating. And they finally landed on dry ground. Who gets off? Noah, his wife, his three sons and their three wives. So eight souls. They are back on solid terra firma, you know, after floating around in the houseboat for a good while. And God tells them, you've left one world, and you're landing in a new world. It's going to be different. And I don't think we stop and think about how different it is for Noah often. That old world is gone. The way the old world worked, the way things operated, it's going to be changed. It's different from here on. Matter of fact, the whole way it looks, looks different, you know. It's the only world that you and I have known. We've only seen a post-flood world, you know, with mountain ranges and valleys carved out and, you know, all these fossils in the ground. All this stuff. He, he didn't have all that. We do. In verse 1, he starts telling them, he says, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Have babies. You know, <laughs> go forth. We need to bring the, bring the population up. God says, do that. Verse 2. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea, into your hand are they delivered. So when we're over men, or we're over animals, but the animals are going to work different for Noah than they did before the flood. They now fear man. They didn't fear man before. Now they fear man. 
Uh, if you remember in the garden, you know, remember Adam's there and God brings them all and says, what are you going to call this one? He's like, I'm lying, I guess, or a hippopotamus. You know, and so he has, like, gives them all their names, you know, and they come and he laughs and him and God have a good day, you know, and he sees that, well, they all had a mate. I don't have a mate. And that's when he gets Eve. But he says, here, they're going to be different. They're going to, they're going to be scared. Now, as men, he says that we're over them all. We can domesticate them. We've domesticated about everything and caught them all and put them in a zoo. Yeah, we can, we can do that. But the pre-flood world was more like how the millennium's going to be, you know, where it says the lion and the wolf lay down together. Uh, where we can go and we can play with the snake and not worry about getting bit. Um, we're all going to be kind of like Snow White, right, where we can, like, go outside and put up a finger and birds will come land on us. You know, it's a, uh, the fear of man's not there. I remember reading about an island that uh, man hadn't stepped on before, and it wasn't that long ago. It was down in Polynesia down there somewhere. And, and they said how weird it was as they stepped aside that almost all the animals came out to see who they were and what was going on, and birds would land on them. And they're like, what is this? You know, it's like they didn't have the fear of man for some because they hadn't been around. So God makes it where they don't have a fear of us. And now he says, because the pre-flood world abused them, and abuse their innocence, and abuse how, how they thought they could trust you so much. He goes, I put fear within them. I give the deer a white tail. He sends up a flag and warns everybody, nah, humans around, get out of here. You know, he waves it and then they take off running. You know, animals were interested in us before and not afraid, but now they're afraid. Now, you know, when you step outside and you see deer, you stop, right? But once they spot you, you know, they jump and run. You know, they kick up and they take off and they, and they go. You know, you jump up a covey of quail, you know, they, they take off. You know, the birds fly. You know, when you step outside, like, I'm just going to feed you. You know, they all fly away. They, you're feeding them. They don't trust you. You know, they scatter. The rabbits flee. You know, everything's taken off. You know, if man comes around. Animals, animals have a dread of us because, like I said, in the pre-flood world, got so evil, they abuse them. And God's like, I'm not leaving them innocent. I'm putting, putting some uh, early warning system within them so they run away. Verse 3, he says, uh, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. And so they go for being vegetarians to where now they're allowed to eat meat. And so and he's like, to make it fair, I made the animals afraid of you too. So they, they take off. Verse 4, he continues on. He says, but flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, thou shalt not eat. He says, you're going to drain it. You're going to drain the blood. You're not going to eat blood. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why. We don't have time this morning. Verse 5. He says, surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of man, every man's brother will I require the life of man. All right, it's King Jamesy, but what's he saying here? God has just instituted capital punishment. He's just put in the death penalty. If a man kills a man, a man's life should be put. I forgot to read verse 6. Let's read that. Whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his, uh, his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. He says, capital punishment. If you kill a man, you are to be killed. We didn't come up with that. It's not something that we instituted. It's not a man-made law or ordinance. It's a God-made law or ordinance. So we are for the death penalty. Why? Because we're for life. And God says, I'm for life. You don't take, if you take life, I take your life. It stops. You know? 
There's no three strikes, you're out. You know, oh, okay, you killed him three or four of them, but, you know, we'll give you one more chance. It's like, no, God's like, no, you killed him, you're dead. You know, if you're guilty of it, you're, you're to be taken out. Because God's, violence was rampant before the flood. It got grossly exaggerated how the violence proliferated around the world where God's like, I got to flood it with water, you know, to get rid of them all. Innocent animals were abused and killed. People were abused and killed. Death and carnage and cannibalism. That's why the whole draining of the blood, I'm not going to do all that. Man did what was right in his own eyes. And if he thought it was fun to kill somebody and okay to kill somebody, he would kill the next person. Maybe Cain killed somebody, then God put a mark on him, but we couldn't kill him. We can all kill somebody. That's what grows. It gets exaggerated. It gets wrong. In fact, you have that documented within the text here. There's just no regard for life in the sense. You're just looking out for old number one. You know, they just wanted to take care of that. And so there was just war and carnage on the world. And God's like, no, you to respect life. You're made in my image. And so you respect your fellow human. And if you kill someone, you are to be killed. There's a consequence. He goes, we're going to let that be known. In the new world, as we start out here, Noah, if someone kills someone, you kill them. Instill that fear. Let them know it right now. If you kill somebody, and we know it's you, then you die. It's a deterrent. It is. It stops that person from killing, and it makes others think about it. Well, I don't want to be killed, and so they don't do it. And so well, all these arguments we get, that's not a deterrent, it's not all this. They're against God. God has instituted this, not us. Why? Because God's pro-life. If you stop a murderer from killing, they don't murder anybody else. Shocking. You know, there's no catch and release like we have now. Well, that guy has killed seven people with his car, but we just keep letting him back out. You know, when they do all, we see it, I see headlines every week. He says, we're not going to do that. And so, but under this rule, there should have been no serial killer. There's no catch and release. There's no, oh, he didn't feel remorse yet. No, he says, you just do it. You kill one, this is the consequence. You know, you take a life, your life is taken. Because man is made in God's image. Verse 6, he says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. So if you shed man's blood, your blood will be shed. This is counted in history by theologians of God instituting and instilling government. You're like, well, how, how do you get to that? he's put someone in charge he's put people in charge if someone kills someone now the state or the group of the people must hold this person accountable by having them killed that way they're not a murderer you know so if you work on a jury that convicts them you're not guilty you're doing what god has told you to do you know we're, we're supposed to uphold the law and so he's going to use men to hold men accountable god said that's what i'm going to have to do it that's how, so he instills government to watch care over the people now we have someone to answer to, someone to help keep the peace. God says, I've now instilled this institution that will now keep the peace. We know it changes, you know, and we know it grows. We know that more laws are added and things go on. Uh, I think less government is best, but God instituted the government, and I need to remember that. When I'm frustrated at my government, I'm saying this is something that God has instituted for my good. So we go back to Romans. And so we need to remember that as we are reading Romans 13. We can't argue against government. God instituted it. So then how do, how do we deal with it? How, what do we do? And so Romans 13. Verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. 
the powers that be are ordained of God. Paul's reminding us of, us of this, that it's God-ordained. That's what he says right there. It's God-ordained or God-instituted or placed authority into some people's hands to govern and rule over us. It says here, every soul, everyone is accountable to that authority. No one is to be above the law. No one is to think themselves exempt. Now, um, uh, let me not get ahead of myself. Let's say verse 2. Verse 2 says, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that shall resist shall receive to themselves damnation. If you resist the government, expect to be punishment, punished. That's all he's saying. It's because you're resisting. Because you're in resisting what God has instituted. So it says here in the King James, expect damnation, or in other words, it could be punishment or judgment. You know, you're going to get some judgment. You know, if you go against the government, they're the rule, they're a power, and if you oppose them and whatever law they have, expect some repercussion. That's what Paul is just being reasonable here with us. He's just saying, I'm just telling you what's reasonable. I'm just telling you how we shall live. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Um, now, when we read this, we need to be thinking in generic, basic terms. Also, I think the thing we need to keep in mind as Paul is discussing this and telling us about the topic of government right here and right now, he is telling us about government as the ideal. He is telling us ideal as like government as God has instituted, a good group doing good things, watching out for your good. We have to think of that. So you have to remove yourself from 2024 and put yourself back when this is good and everything was good and everyone doing it was good and everyone was serving the people. That's what Paul's arguing from, from the basic of the institution of government, thinking it as good, looking out for your good, serving mankind for the good, keeping us safe, stopping people from murdering and breaking the law. So let's, we have to keep in that context for now. We'll come back to more later. So let's stay with Paul here. He's not thinking about a corrupt government. He's not thinking about an evil government. He's not thinking about wicked and evil and corrupt rulers. He's not thinking about that. He's speaking on ideal terms as everything is working as it should. That's what he's using as he's telling this. He's giving us a foundation. He's laying a basic for us. So the ideal government. And the ideal government doing good and doing what is right, it's not a terror to people that are obeying the law and people that are being good and right, right? You don't sit around thinking like the government's going to kick in your door and drag you out of your bed if you're paying your taxes and obeying the law and doing what is right. When you're driving doing the speed limit, you're not watching your rearview mirror and everything else around you for the policeman. You know, you're doing what's right. You know, you're within the confines of the law. Your conscience is free. You don't have to worry about it. That's what he's talking about. It's not a terror against you if you're obeying the law. It's a terror to evil people. It's a terror to those that are criminals, doing criminal things and breaking the law. They're the ones looking over their shoulder. They're the ones sneaking around at night. They're the ones with the mask on their face. They're, the, you know, they're doing all those things. It's, they're looking out for the government because the government's going to bring wrath against them, hold them to judgment. He says it's a terror unto them. It's a deterrent. You know, they're having to sneak. They can't just go up in broad daylight and do it. Now, again, I'm talking ideal. I'm not talking San Francisco. I'm not talking where they're allowed to just run in and clear off the shelves. I'm talking about under the ideal terms. They're supposed to be a deterrent to violence and to theft and to, to killing. The government is there to strike fear into them to stop them from being evil. Oh, we're going to be held accountable. There's going to be repercussions for our actions. They're going to hold justice, hold me to justice. That's what Paul's saying. And so it's to coerce, coerce them to be good. It's to encourage them to be good. If you're good, life is good. If you're evil, 
then, then things come against you. Verse 3, for the rulers are not a terror to do to good works. You know, they're not against them, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have the praise of the same. As a matter of fact, if you do what is right and you're doing what is good, they might even reward you for it. Citizen of the year, upstanding citizen, acknowledge this guy for who he is and what he's doing. We don't see much of that well today, but, today, but you know, the government would praise you and say, well done. You might make it into the State of the Union in speech. Look, this guy started this kind of action in his community, and this girl did this over here. You know, they, they call it out. You don't fear the government. They might reward you. Verse 4, so we're going to come back to some of this. It says, for he is the minister of God, speaking of the government, to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. God instituted government for our good, for our protection, to stop murders, to find people commit murders and then execute them and stop them from committing further murders, to instill fear on us as a people so that we'll consider not killing people because there's a ramification. If I do it, they're going to kill me. I don't want to die, so I live peaceably among my brothers. You know, and so it's to try to instill that kind of mindset. I want to be good. I want to obey. I want to be a good citizen. I want to be law-abiding. I want to know that when I stop at the red light, everybody else is stopping at their red light, and I'm not worried about somebody running the red light and hitting me. You know, they're just kind of obeying the law, you know, keeping yourself safe. And then, you know, they're not driving on the sidewalk because that's where people go. And, you know, the bikes are in the bike lane and you're in the car lane. And everybody's doing what's right and taking their turn. They're yielding. They're not, you know, it's good, good society. But if you kill someone, the government is the revenger. It says here in verse 4, it will institute wrath upon him that doeth evil. They'll find him and they are to kill him. They're to, matter of fact, it says even execute it there. And the front line to keep this order and instill fear in the criminals and to capture and to bring them in, he says... That's him that doeth good, they're the him that doeth evil, they're against them. And they're going to be held accountable. On a grander scale, that would be like our police. They're the ones on the front line that are doing that. You know, they're the ones that keep the peace down on the local street level. You know, they're to be out there watching and governing, protecting, and then, you know, if something's going on, you call them for help. You know, if someone's been in your house, you call them over. If you see something doing evil, you call them out. You know, if they spot someone doing evil, they go over and stop them. You know, they're to catch them, capture them, bring them in, set them before trial, and then let the rest of the system begin to work, you know, with prosecutors and judges and, and then the prison system and then, uh, you know, execution boards or however else and how far it needs to go. So they are, they are there against them that are doing evil. I don't know, any of you remember Officer Friendly? I, we used to have Officer Friendly come to our school. It was, uh, you know, talk about, let kids know, this, this guy's for you. He's not against you, this is a guy you call in, in, in a time of trouble. On a grander scale, it would have been soldiers. We have soldiers to protect our border, to protect our country, to guard against evil from invading us so that we can sleep at night and not worry about some missile coming in and getting us or some foreign army, you know, flooding in to obey us. Again, I'm talking in ideal terms. I'm not talking about in 2024. <clears throat> and so uh, that's why he talks about these soldiers having swords, you know, or, or the people at the local level. You know, think of the Roman government. You know, they use their swords, the centurions, as like their police force. Uh, we would have guns and weapons, you know, to punish and to bring and subdue do evil and to bring them into captivity. So that's the, he beareth the sword not in vain. He'll use it. They have power and the permission to use it under being someone who's ordained of God to protect and to watch out for his people. God's like, I flesh it out and I give you a government system to have this system to watch over and to protect you. 
So he's not provoking vigilantism. Yes, I like Batman, but uh, it's, not, it's not that. He's like, no, I have a system in which this is supposed to work, and it's through the police force doing those good that they'll be the front line within that. And they have the power to punish you. They can detain you. They can arrest you. They can put you in cuffs. They can put you in custody until things are proven out. Here's where Paul makes it practical, verse 5. Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. He said, so no, not only do I just want you to obey just because to avoid the wrath of the government coming upon you, just so that you can have a clear conscience. Live right. Live by the rules. Live by the laws. Christians, the Christians shouldn't be the troublemaker group like, ah, there's a church in town, a new church. We're going to have to have a patrol around those troublemakers and see what they're up to. We're not hell's angels, right? You know, we're not a gang out there plotting some kind of thing. It should be the one like, oh, there's people standing alongside with us. There's good, decent, law-abiding folks over there that stand with us. Yay, another church, someone who's watching out and keeping an eye on things. Todd Rakita can send out and say, let us know if evil things are going on in your community so we can try to root it out and keep it out of our school systems. So he's asking us to do that. Verse 6, you know, for our conscience sake. He says, one, yeah, it avoids trouble, but that's kind of like, that's, well, I can't kill you because the law said so. No, we should have a clear conscience and because we know have the law written on our heart because we don't do that. Verse uh, 6, for this cause, um, pay you tribute, uh, tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom Fear unto whom fear, honor to whom honor. And he goes on about owing no man. We'll pick that up next week. So basically the most, uh, uh, probably I read more commentaries saying they wish this wasn't in Scripture, but pay your taxes. <laughs> we pay your taxes because we have a government that God's put over us, and so we should pay our taxes to make sure, again, this is all in the ideal, that it's all working right, and they're taxing us fairly and justly, and that these things are supposed to be that way, that God had instituted this. He has his ministers, and this is their job, and they need to make a pay, and so we all pay collectively to pay the governor, and the, and the mayor, and the, and, the, and the city council, and then the policemen, and the firemen, and the, all these different things. We, we, we pay for that service. You know, it's something, look, I, I like knowing in 2024, if I was to have the worst day in my life, I have somebody I can call for help. 911, what's your emergency? And they'll send police out to make sure it's safe. And then they'll take it from there. Do I need a fireman? They'll send fire. Do I need an EMT? They'll send an EMT. We have a system set up where we can get it within minutes to help us. I'm glad we have that. It takes money. It takes technology. It takes fast cars. <laughs> it takes fancy cars. Uh, I had a kidney stone. Um, that's horrible pain. <laughs> They're like, hey, just like I had a kid. I'm like, tell me about it. Uh, that ambulance ride was expensive. <laughs> I mean, expensive. More expensive uh, than my hospital stay. But did I get relief from my pain on the way up there? I did. <laughs> and, I, and I thought it was money well spent at the time. Afterwards, I think I would have suffered for a few more miles. But, I, but I'm glad I had that. You know, I'm glad I had somebody to take it and relieve the pain and, and to be able to do it. That they can make a judgment call. We think it's this. You know, take whatever it is. We can give him that. And it'll relieve him from suffering. Because... I was suffering. And so they were able, I'm, I'm glad we have a system where that works. You know, we, we just have the uh, eclipse coming up on, on, on April 8th. You know, pick up your flyer on your way out. I'm about ready to order some more because we've about passed them out and they're going good. I had people asking for more yesterday. But um, they're saying it's going to be crowded. <laughs> so don't expect that fast service that we're used to 
So don't be dumb. <laughs> don't, don't, don't be doing things that are going to get hurt and try to stay out of harm's way and in trouble because we're used to minutes. And it's going to be hard if there's a lot of traffic in the area. And so that's, we're not used to that. But we're, we have it pretty good. I'm glad we have police. I'm glad we have fire. I'm glad we have EMTs, you know, to be able to come and, and, and render aid right then and there. You know, it's not like uh, when I was a kid, you know, the show was uh, emergency. You know, Johnny Gage and uh, DeSoto, they would come over and they're popping. They're having to call back for the doctor. We have them trained. That was the early fledgling. We now have that. They roll up and they can administer aid to you right then and there. That's great. I like having an interstate to get to Florida. Can you imagine trying to drive 31 all the way to Florida? It's going to take you longer than 14 hours, 12 hours to get there if you're stopping at stoplights and pulling over a few minutes you know, and seeing everything that is going on. I'm glad we have bridges. You count how many bridges you cross on the way to church and think what it was like if you were at before bridges and you had to like think of a where's the shallow spot in this creek? How am I going to get there? I'm glad we have infrastructure. I'm glad we have judges. I'm glad we have detectives. I'm glad we have road crews. I'm glad we have city parks. That's fun to be able to take our kid to a playground that we can't afford. Our keeps blowing over. We hope to build another one. You know, so, so something we can have here, but it takes money to do that. Uh, I'm glad we have roundabouts. That's made a lot of congested areas a lot faster. I'm glad someone thought of that, instilled it, put it in. I'd like to have some training or some other at least some people have training, on how those work and how it's supposed to be. You know, so we pay. And again, we are still talking about the ideal situation. We want to have a clear conscience. We want to stay out of trouble, so we submit. Makes sense, right? Seems logical. But, there's always the but, right? But we don't live in the ideal, do we? We live in the real world where it seems like if God gives us something good, what does men do with it? We pervert it, right? We make it corrupt. We turn it to evil. What God means for good, men turn to evil, to take Joseph's word and flip it around. We corrupt it. Because when I think about our government, and I'm talking about all this, we're like, but our government's not good. Our judge system, our court system isn't righteous. You know, we don't have anything right now that seems like it's working as it should. But what do we do? Well, the book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, the book of Philemon are called prison epistles because the Apostle Paul, probably arguably the greatest human being who ever lived, probably the biggest and best example of a Christian, wrote those while he was in jail. Was he a bad citizen? Do you think he was doing evil things? Was he out causing mischief? Starting fights and killing people? No. What was he doing? Was he doing the will of God? Did God call him to be a preacher to the Gentiles? To go forth and proclaim the good news, the gospel message? Did he call him to do that? He did. Did he do it? Yeah. Did it go easy? No, <laughs> it didn't. He was not evil. He was not doing wrong. He was accused of causing riots. He didn't. He went in there and spoke the truth, and they didn't like it. It wasn't what they wanted to hear. It wasn't what they wanted to do, and they became up mad about it. What are you trying to do? Take away our way of living? You're trying to do all this? And, and, and they would get angry, and they would plot against him, and the crowds would be upset. And the rulers and the authorities in that region would be upset. So they would arrest him. He wasn't doing anything wrong. All the apostles except John were executed by a government for being evil. No. For fulfilling the Great Commission. 
to go forth and preach the gospel to every creature. Hmm. That's why God's order is never out of order. And that's why I stress that point. And that's why we go through Romans 12 before we get to Romans 13. Because in Romans 12, verse 9, it tells us to abhor evil. And sometimes our governments are evil. Sometimes magistrates are evil. Sometimes a judge is evil. Sometimes so what are we to do? Bless them that curse us. Offer them food. Show them kindness. Christianity is not easy, folks. That's not what we want to hear. That's not what we want to do. But we are to abhor evil. Look at Acts 5. And God has given us a limited way in which we are to respond. It's not what I want to hear, I'll tell you that. We're to respond in a way that is honorable. Acts 5. We'll get into more into what is and what, is that, what, what isn't that. Acts 5, verse 28. We have Peter and some more that, that are now before a council after they've been arrested and beaten with some stripes here. And they're about ready to set them loose. And they're like, uh, are you going to do this again, right? And uh, verse 28, and so Acts 5, 28, saying, did we not straight, uh, straightly command you that you should not teach in his name? Did we tell you, we set out as authorities of this city, don't preach in Jesus' name, don't go out and proclaim this message. Did we not tell you that? He says that we straightly told you. He wasn't veiled. It wasn't hidden. It wasn't subtle. We told you outright. That's preaching his name. And he says, and behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. You're saying we're guilty that we have killed him for this. You're, you're making us feel bad for what we did executing him. Then Peter said, and the other apostles answered, we ought to obey God rather than man. The authorities over him were telling him, no, don't do this. So there's a point in time when we disobey those authorities if they contradict God. So we need to know God's authority. What's God's will for us? What did God tell us to do? And God says, preach the gospel. They said, they made it illegal to preach the gospel. And Peter's like, then we're going to do it illegal. We're going to do it anyway. We have to obey God rather than men. We have to abhor evil. We have to stand up for that which is good. And so we need to act. We need to do it. We need to move. A Christian is to abhor evil and be a law-abiding citizen. But we also are to stand against evil. We're to call it out. We're to point it out. We're to say what it is. And we have the example of the early church. And they gave their lives, and they spent time in jail. Because we can't obey a government that violates God's will. We can't. We don't. We won't. Um, if, if they pass laws that are contrary to God's will, we're to stand up and oppose them and say, no, that's not going to work. I'm not going to do that. Because then there gets those situations. We must obey God. But you will most likely suffer the penalties of a government if you do that. And Paul's also trying to tell us that out straight. Paul's like, I knew what I was getting into. The disciples knew what they were getting into. They're like, yeah, but we have a higher command. We serve King Jesus more than we serve President Biden, Right? We're under a monarchy in that sense. We have a king who is over us, and we are to obey our king. We're ambassadors in a foreign land. Now, thankfully, we're probably in the best country in the world, and we have things in place that give us a voice, more so than a lot of places. And we're to use within our legal standards to do all that. We are. We're to use everything. We're not hindered in that. We're, we're to do it all, and we can do it all. But we have caution given to us. Look at the Second Peter chapter 2. 
Second, no, not Second Peter. First Peter, chapter two. I think I'm right. Yeah, First Peter. My notes are wrong. First Peter, chapter two, verse thirteen. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Not for our sake, for the Lord's sake. We want to be a testimony for the Lord's sake. Whether it be to the king as supreme, or in our case it would be a president, or unto the governors, or unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, that would be like the police, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God. That, the, that with well-doing you may be put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and as not as using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. We're to submit for the Lord's sake. You die to yourself and say, I will submit for the Lord's sake. And we are to do well. However we respond, no matter what that response might be, we can say it's evil, we could call it out as evil, we can do whatever and make them be known that it's evil, or to do it in an honorable and a peaceable way. We don't go in there like, I'm going to torch the building, and I'm going to punch the judge in the face, and I'm going to, we'll do it a peaceably and an honorable way, so the six that, that'll silence ignorance and foolish men, they're going to be like, he's a good, decent guy, he might have a point, maybe we should listen to him. You know, it's just trying to bring it out. And, and we don't use it as a cloak of militia. We, we can't hide under that. Well, I'm doing God's will. We do it right. And God says, I made it hard. I made it hard. He goes, but it's for my glory. You might suffer. Yeah, you might suffer. Look at Titus. Turn back to the left. Titus chapter 3. Titus 3 verse 1. He uh, writes Titus here, and he says, Titus chapter 3, verse 1, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and to powers and to obey magistrates and to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish and disobedient and deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness of the love of God, our Savior, towards men appeared. And then he goes on and talks about our salvation. He says, so we're to act kind back to them because we were once foolish, and we acted those ways, and we did whatever. Like, I'm just following orders. I'm doing whatever. He says, so we need to have some kindness and grace because you're an ambassador. We're to oppose evil. We're to fight against evil. We're to abhor evil and resist it. But at the whole time, we have to remember that we are being an ambassador for Christ. Does this honor Christ? Am I doing the Christ-honoring way? Am I doing this as right? Are we to do that? We can speak up. Matter of fact, we're called to speak up. We can speak out. Matter of fact, it is just and righteous for us to speak up. We are to let them know it is evil, and we are to call out evil, and we are to say it is evil, and we're to write letters, and we're to send emails, and we're to speak up in public forums. We can go before councils. We can go before hearings, and we can speak up, and we can say our piece. We can vote. Hopefully that still matters and still works. We can vote and try to vote them out. We can protest. We can. Our government allows for everything, the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. We can do that. We can march. We can chant. We can picket. We can meme. And we can send out memes. And then we can do all that. We want to do it in a God-honoring and Christ-honoring way. That is for sure. But we're to do all that honorably. We're to do it all right. We're to do it within the context in which it is given to us. When they come along and say, hey, we're going to close your church. We're like, no. 
we're going to meet. Because God says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. They come along and they ask us to do some, something that is evil and violate your conscience against yourself. You can say, I, I opt out. Or I abstain. Or I might cost you your job. It might. But do we violate our conscience for our conscience sake? We are to defend the innocent. Whether it's an unborn baby in the womb or the children in our school systems. We are to fight and stand up for them. We are called to that. We are called to more. We know what is right. And we know what is decent. And we know what is wrong. And we are to be the one that stands up. We are to be the voice for the voiceless. Kids don't know. They're being taught. And we are telling them, oh, teachers are authority. Principals are authority. Superintendents are authority. Submit unto them. And they're doing their part. And if they're teaching evil and wicked things, we are to stand up and say No. We're to say no. We're to call attention. We're to hold rallies. We can do that. We can stand up. We can persuade people. We're to have our chance. We're to do it. We are to, we are for life. We are for capital, capital punishment. We are. And that's one of the things that the world gets so confused about. How can you say you're pro-life with a baby, but you want to kill this criminal? Because I want to stop a murderer. Because it is God's way, it is the right way. And so we do this. He says, he will not kill anybody else. It is the punishment that God has laid down going all the way back to Genesis 9. So we stand up for them. We can hold rallies. We are for that. We are for life. We are against abortion. So we can stand outside abortion clinics and we can have our penance and we can have our, our pickets and we can have all the things that are there but we do it within the law. We stay on the sidewalk so far away, whatever the rule is within those areas. We don't accost people. We can speak to them. We can speak to them in love you know, yelling out, you're a murderer! It's probably not to get them to come around and say, tell me more about this Jesus you serve. You know, but if we come up to them, we say it in kindness and with respect and some kind of offering, can I pray for you? You're not alone in this. We can help you in that. There's people, that's their whole ministry. We can start petitions, and we can gather names, and we can do it together this way. We are to obey God, and we are to abhor evil, and we're to be vocal about it. Our problem, we've been tolerant. Most things wrong in America today is because the church has been silent. Paul was under an evil empire. He, he gets beheaded. He was accused of causing riots that he didn't cause. He was accused of going to a building he wasn't supposed to go into. It was all false accusations in the way in which he said he was doing it and what he was doing going on there. They brought all these, it was unlawful. And he's in jail three times. He writes all these books of the Bible. He's in prison. He was in house arrest for over two years. Every time you see him in the book of Acts, it seems like he's wearing chains, right? Something's going on and they just almost killed him and that they stoned him to death and then he, people take vows against themselves where they weren't going to eat until they have him dead. He's in shipwrecks, he's in everything else, he's captured against them. Peter is beaten, and he goes out and does it again. They're going to keep beating you, he's going to keep preaching. What are we going to do with the beast empire as we see it start to be laid out and rolled out in front of us? Do we be like, well, what's the rule? I've got to take a mark. No, that's why he's told us all this in advance. No, we don't. We're going to resist it. We fight against it as we see the groundwork being laid. That's why digital currency talk and you know the, uh, uh, the, the digital cash and all that that can be traced and be tracked and can be watched and be monitored and can be shut off and turned on and we don't let you shop here and you need your membership card. And you have, this is all groundwork being laid so that we just fold right into it. We're like, wow, it's embedded in the skin. I won't lose my wallet. And I just do this and I can just gather my groceries and walk out. Seems so convenient. And God's like, I've warned you about this. It might not be the mark yet. But do we want to participate and help and encourage that? No. He says at one point, once you take that mark, there's no salvation for you. 
So we're to resist it. We're to call it evil. And we're to say, no, let's stop it. The Bible has a cautionary tale and has told us this for some 2,000 years that this is coming. And now we see it fleshed out in front of us. Even Joe Rogan the other day was reading some things saying, I don't know. I think the Bible's talking about this stuff. Amen. That's why he tells us in advance so that it gets people awake. We're not going to participate. We're going to warn. We're going to refuse to participate. And yet, God puts even evil leaders in place. Sometimes for our judgment. Oh, you say you want that? You say this is who you are as a people? You say this is what kind of nation you want to be? I'll give you that kind of leader. You say you don't want God? You want to say you came from the beast? I'll give you a beast. I think that's what the beast is all about. Oh, you want to say you came from your own? You want to say you're self-made? You want to say that you're animals? I'll give you the animal. We'll call him the beast. So sometimes it's for our judgment. And we're to be Elisha. And we're to speak up. And we're to call him out. He sends Babylon to judge him. And then we're to be a Daniel, right? You must bow down as the law to bow down to this image. And we're like, nope. Then we're going to throw you a fiery furnace. If we live, if we die, we're going to obey God. They did it in a civil and an honorable way. And we're still talking about it. They said, hey, you can only pray to the king. You cannot pray to God. You can only pray to the king. And Daniel's like, let me open my doors and pray towards Jerusalem like I always do because that's a stupid law. I'm not going to comply. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to pray like I've always done. I'm going to obey God. We're going to throw you in the lines, then. Okay. Was he afraid? Probably. He didn't know how it was going to turn out, right? Those lions were hungry because the next day when they threw the other guys in, they gobbled them all up, bones and all. But Daniel did what was honorable. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to do it. Hey, don't eat this food. It's illegal. You have to eat this food, the king's food. And Daniel's like, we protest. We're not going to. I want to stand with God on my side in this. Daniel did it right. I think it's one of the reasons why we have the book of Daniel. He lives in a hostile empire, away from his people, isolated and alone. And yet he still honored God in the things he did. He chose to do it honorably. And God rewarded him each and every time. Joseph as well. So dare to be a Daniel. Be a voice of righteousness. Stand and resist evil. We are limited in the, just to the fact that we can't bring violence. When they say it's illegal to meet in churches and they make it illegal and they make it violent, they're going to do that. We start an underground church. That's what the churches have always done. We still gather. It might be in the catacombs. It might be in some dark and some unseen place. And it might be a code word to get in and out. But we still have church because God says you do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together. It might get to the point where it's like it's just uh, they kill all Christians everywhere. Then you flee. Then you leave that nation. And even Jesus warns when the beast comes to power, you run to the wilderness. You get out from underneath his control. You get out from underneath that technocratic eye. And you get out and you, and you live among the trees where maybe I can take care of you with ravens like I did Elisha. We are to be like that. We are to serve God. And none of this is easy. And he's put us in a harder time than most. None of this is easy. We're to feed our enemy. We're to pay our taxes and they're going to use it for evil to fund abortions and to do this and to do that and to do the other thing and send it all to Ukraine. and do what? Are we going to do all that? We're supposed to bless those who persecute us? And yet we still got to juxtapose it with earlier in chapter 12 where it says, you be fervent, you be boiling for righteousness. Jesus Christ, you know, went in and flipped over the table of the temple. It's like, don't make my father's house a house of thieves. 
We're to have passion. We're to be fervent in spirit. We're to hate evil. We're to resist it. And we can be passionate about it. But we're to honor God in his ways. It's the hard way. But it's the way that God gets the glory. Countries could not topple Rome. But the consistent Christians did. I think that's where we're called now. But the thing is, you need him. You can't do it on your own. <laughs> we can't do it by ourselves. You can't leave. I'm just going to be good. I, I can't do none of this. My flesh is like, no, I fight. You know, I was raised on Rambo. No, we fight. We resist. We're going, we're going to overthrow. We're going to take it. We'll start the revolution. He says, not us. Not us. But you need to have him as your savior. Because how else do you stay that hand within us, right? Men are made, and we kind of have a violent tendency strength of God. It's the power of God. It's surrendering and yielding to him. If you don't have that, you need it. You need to repent and trust in him as your savior. But if you do have it, we need to depend on it. Because how else do we do that hard thing? How else do we pray for our enemy? How else do we feed them? How else do we operate in the way that he's calling us to operate? With restraint. With the strength under control with the submission that is self-submitted in a way that is honorable that makes men say, who are these people? Because many a Christian was executed to only then have their executioner come to know Christ. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Makes men think. I often think of Antipas, his faithful servant, roasted to death in an iron bull. God's like, I didn't forsake him. He didn't forsake me. I don't forsake him. He is my faithful servant, Antipas. We are to be his faithful servants. <clears throat> but it ain't easy. That's why we gather together and we garner our strength together. So, yeah, fun text from the Bible as we study together as here, practical and relevant, not always what we want or how we want it. But it's what God says is his way. It's what is best. And so I pray if you don't know him as Savior, repent and trust him today. But if you do, we need his strength, don't we? We need to stay in a close walk with him by feeding on the word, by staying in prayer communication, by asking, what do you have me do, Lord? I've got a boiling, fervent spirit within